What's up, y'all? I don't quite know if we're gonna bring the smoke or on our new show, but we're gonna do both right now. First of all, man, we got Miss Erin Carter in the house. You know, she one of them powerful women because you ain't changed your last name, did you? She, you know, she like Beyonce, you know what I'm saying? She married now, but she still say she Erin Carter. Her name too big, put some respect on her name. Sorry, Brother Titus, you still big too, but y'all just be it together. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> but anyway, I mean, I met her, she does so many different things. She works with senators, Congress people. She's in the big in the political game, and now she's breaking into the real estate game. You know, now she realized all these crooked people that's out here. So we, we got our own adventures on this one, just like the other one. But the drama isn't coming from us. We're very civilized people. <laughs> the drama comes from those people that continue to try to cheat and throw themselves into deals that they don't even have any knowledge about, man. But. Anyway, you you when the story unfolds, you'll find out a lot, man. I only, I'm gonna let you tell them who you are. You can tell some of the story about the land that we're dealing with, and then we can go into to the event you're doing. But man, you had some crazy people that I met, boy. Thank God I'm a pastor, but I'm also a broker, so some pastor had to get out the way on this one. Pastor Maxwell had to sit down, and the businessman had to jump up because boy, these people. Man, go ahead. You talk, man. That, 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 she laughing because it's crazy, man. It's, <laughs> oh it's flipping gosh. crazy. All right, so um, me and a business partner, we acquired um, was it six point six point two six point three acres um, in the city of Portsmouth. Um, it's a site, you know, it's a commercial site, zone commercial. And I first uh, when we first bought the property, we bought the property from the housing authority, and um, we had some plans about. You know, first it was a restaurant. That's what we were going to utilize it for. We were saying, if we're going to do a restaurant, then why not just buy a vacant land and the cost of bill would be the cost of what an existing restaurant. Because that land right behind Ruby <laughs> Tuesdays. <laughs> Okay, hey, they like, we gonna move. They went out of it. They went, okay, my fault. See, it's down there. It was yeah. the same. It, Ruby Tuesdays was more. So it's like, why not go brand new? And so then we saw, like, there was a lot of equity. Um, so I'm like still kind of a newbie to real estate, but I know like it's rare that you walk into a situation where you have a multi-million dollar equity on the table already from what you paid for it. Um, so we had upwards of like no, more than $2 million in equity. And so we knew at the end of the day that deal was still a good deal because you, <laughs> how you walk into a deal and you still uh, have that much equity. So we had it. Then we had somebody kind of like approach us and was like, well, maybe you guys should just kind of sell it and flip the land and, you know, do a flip on it. And I was familiar with people, you know, trying to do flips and stuff like that. And at first, that's what we thought. We thought, okay, maybe we'll sit on this for like maybe three or four months and somebody will come and buy it because it wasn't publicly listed. The housing authority only really has their um, vacant properties and uh, vacant properties and land on the website so if you don't really go to the website or really talk to the people the staff like you really don't know it's not on like a listing service or a real estate they don't use like real estate brokers or agents so we thought like okay it's not too far from the new casino it's the biggest piece of land available yes. like we got a gym so then we run into the situation where like a guy he um we knew him for a while just kind of like you know cozy friends or whatever and he seemed to be having, you know, his ducks in a row, but there was, you know, several red flags. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> so 
we got a contract on the property, right? And so the contract, um, they they sent, well, first they sent over a letter of intent. And so, you know, my business partner, he was just kind of trusting, like, you know, you're going to find everything out, do due diligence. And so one thing about me, I'm always slow to sign a contract. Like, I will read it, and then I will go read it, like, at 2 o'clock in the morning. Yeah. And it'll probably take me like three or four days. Yeah. You like literally yeah. you have to beg me to send yeah. a contract yeah. back. <laughs> yeah. And so um that's what I did. You know, they were coming on as kind of a consultant and it seemed to be fair. You know, it was like, you know, if we just gonna sit here three to four months and this and walk out with all this equity right out the door, you know, it was like okay. So they sent us the letter of intent, the contract. Then somebody, the part, they were trying to first get 30% yeah. of the deal. So I was slow to sign the contract. And honestly, um, we had some people back in Texas, some, you know, CPAs and lawyers that was overlooking stuff. And they hated the consultant agreement yeah, that's a lot. about the whole deal. They hated it. And, you know, we just kind of went with it because we were like, well, you know, we still going to make X amount. Right, right. So, I mean, it's like, okay, we're giving away money, but, you know, we're still walking right, out right, <laughs> with right, a lot of right. money. And so they kept telling us, no, you don't have to, you don't have to. And then finally, one day, when I read the contract for probably the 15th time, it stuck out. It, it, it stuck out to me probably the third time, but it really stuck out to me. And it's really what you got to watch in real estate, too, is what contracts to me. It's like you have to read everything, every single thing, and think about it. And um, it was that no matter, basically, it said that they would get 30% of the sale of the property. So that means if we were to hold the property for 10 years yeah. and build a building that's worth $10 million and sell it, you know, 50 years from now, like if my kids sell it, you know, that person in that person estate still will be entitled to that 30%. And I said, that's not fair, you know, because ultimately, you know, they didn't put up the capital. They didn't, you know, right, bring, you know. you know, they just, they knew about the property, but it's like, why should you be entitled even if you don't do no work to the deal? So we renegotiated, rewrote the contract and basically said only if your buyer buys the property, then that's when we would, you know, consider your commission yeah. and, you know, your percentage. Yeah. So then we get into that. Then we find out, you know, I get this letter of intent. They want to, they want to buy it at like multi-million dollar price. It was kind of too good to be true. But then, you know, at the same time, it's like, it was a lot of development going around people we did know from the city and that people did want to build hotels and stuff. And this, this group was promising to build a hotel. They had a website. They looked legit. They really want to build a hotel. And so we uh, entertained it. And, again, me slow to sign contracts. <laughs> um, just kept looking at it. And so they kept coming with uh, demands for the um, content, the uh, due diligence period. You know, at first it was they wanted to close in 30 days. Then it kept pushing back 45. Now we had 90. Now we had 120 days. And so it's fine if you do the 120 days, but why did you make your deposit so low? And I guess, you know, in real estate, most people know, like if you even go buy a house right now, they probably asking like on a decent price house, they want five and 10K with the market going crazy because they want to know if it's a serious buyer or if you just kind of like, you know, just trying to hold something and waste the, you know, real estate in the seller's time. So we randomly agreed to like this low low price <laughs> of the deposit 
just being newbies at the game, but I thought it was rare because, you know, if you can afford to buy $4.5 million, you should be at least be able to put up $100,000 for a deposit. Because if you ain't got a hundred, then how are you going to get, you know, millions um, in financing or, you know, from your bank account? So we lowered it all the way down to 25000 and, and that was probably, that was the biggest red flag. And even with lowering it, they still were like, uh, we need this, we need more time, we need this. And I'm like, well, what are you trying to do? So then I had just riding in the car, literally I had just landed in Dallas uh, for Dorian's birthday, and I got frustrated. And I was like, you know, I'm tired of going back and forth for every week you you almost about to sign your part of the contract, you ain't sent the deposit, 25000 Like, what is it going to take? I'm being lenient, I'm make more concessions than I probably should have, so... I got frustrated, and I said, send me proof of funds. And they told me no. <laughs> um. So I called Maxwell, and I said, is this is this uh, normal for people to say no? They don't want to send proof of funds? <laughs> and then I called another friend of mine who's a developer, and he was like, absolutely not. He was like, if they can't show you a credit line or a bank account, you know, right away. He was like, even they moving money from one account to another, you know, whatever. He was like, why can't they show it to you? So I thought it was a red flag. So I went on and on. And they basically, um, they basically, uh, I was going to say, I'll start over. No, you good, Mr. Barnes. <laughs> yeah, you good. Um, so basically they, they refused to send the proof of funds. So it took them one whole week to um send the proof of funds and then that's when Maxwell came in. And I said, Maxwell, I said, this is what they sent me. (laughs) And I said, now I know I can read. You know, in my younger years I wanted to be a lawyer. So I always pride myself on being able to read stuff. And I'm gonna read it like twenty, like I tell you, I'm gonna read it twenty times. I'm gonna take my time with it on something serious. I said, this don't look like proof of funds. I mean, when I sent proof of funds, it's a yeah, bank yeah, a letter like from the bank saying yes. Aaron Carter got X amount or has been approved for X amount. So I said, this don't. He said, nah, that's not it. He said, but I'll check into it. <laughs> so Maxwell went on like a private <laughs> investigator. Dude. And I tried it. And I think what happens is I think, well, you got to learn in businesses that you can't. You know, just because you feel good towards a person, yeah, and they may even make you feel warm and fuzzy, and you know yeah. all this other stuff, and they kind of just because you yeah. familiar familiar with them, you can't really always go by that because at the end of the day, I always tell people people got a motive and agenda, and they'll make you they kind of put Man. you to sleep, as they say, and just try to think like everything is okay, and you know like oh we I've been around, I've been helping you with this, I've been doing that. And they just kind of want you to just take whatever they give you, but you have to do your due diligence and check. So fast forward, three day weekend, Maxwell, he calls the <laughs> lending source, and they never, they never had wrote the letter. Man, look, I knew that jump was forged, man. So <laughs> when I first looked at it, because one they sent one amount at one time. Then they came and sent another amount. I said, man, hold on, man, this this don't look right. I said, I hate to do it to the brother, but. This joke is finna get messed up. So I emailed the bank. I called the bank, emailed the, First of all, I'm like, is the bank even real? So I emailed the bank. The bank said, well, who sent you this? I'm saying so-and-so. Because I knew right then they weren't real. said, we didn't write this. So he had forged the letter trying to do proof of funds. But when she first called me in the beginning, when they said they were going to close it in 30 days, I said, oh, he lying. They ain't going to do nothing. 
because I was like, 30 days, there's no way you're going to close no commercial property in 30 days. He lying. He ain't got this. He ain't got that. And anyway, I was just, she was, she hadn't even hired me at the time, but she my people. I'm, I'm going to take care of my people. Other people don't know, just know you're going to pay me, okay? So anyway, <laughs> so I was like, look, she hadn't even hired me, but I'm like, I'm like, you know what? This is my people. What? I said, man, they trying to get her. Then, you know, she's younger too. I'm like, she's her first deal. So I was a man. I was like, man, these jokers trying to get you, girl. So then I, we, we, we went through and we found out. So she found out at the end that this dude wanted in Suffolk and Portsmouth for loan fraud and for contract fraud. So I was like, so she was like, we signed it. I said, look, it don't matter what you sign. First of all, the dude not a legal real estate broker or agent anyway. So a lot of times people let people do that illegal stuff as long as nobody complain about you. But if somebody complain about you, it's a wrap. This dude, man, wanted in two, first of all, you want it in two cities that's next door to each other. Like, why? That's just dumb within itself. You might have to edit that part. <laughs> Dude, you, 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 and you still well, trying to push I, I will it. say this. I will say Dude. this. And it's something that, I, like, again, I, I, I failed on my part. No, you didn't. Um, no, I failed on my part because I always tell people to know who you're dealing with and know their background, their track record. And it's even something I preach to Dorian. And on this one, it's just, you know, I just took it kind of for granted, you know, with the person. And, like, after, like, I mean, to me, in my world, I come from the world of politics. If you, like, forge a document, you are done. Like, you are done. Like, you you are done. Like, like my my boss, like, I work for a U.S. senator, and I think he's one of the best people in the world. And I learn a lot from afar from him. He's a great business guy was very successful and it's like if you lie to him like completely lie to him he he loses all respect and trust for you and it's like he'll rather you come out and say i don't know yes. or i can't do it or like but just to blatantly lie and make up a story he's done and it's you know and that's how i felt i was like why would you do this and then they tried to tell me the documents weren't fake and i'm like well, first of all, I think it's like some federal stuff. Like it you're is. lying about proof of funds from a bank and using a bank, a lending source name, a signature. Yeah, you know, I'm like this can really they be fake, a fair case. Head. It is a fair case. Ain't um, no way around it. That's like twenty one million dollars he put on there. That's a that's a couple of three or four five fair cases, man. You know what I'm saying? So we didn't go. So I, you know, that person told me it was like, well. I just want, I don't want, I want you to sign a contract. And I said, well, I'm not signing a contract at this point. They were mad at me too, boy. They were mad And so, uh, that's where he went off a little bit more than me. (laughs) I was in the moment, I kept saying, like, I can't believe this happened. But all of that to say, and then just the part you got to edit. I think in the future, so it made me, what I had to really do is, I had to recalibrate. I had to sit down, and I took about two and a half weeks off and, like, Okay, where do we go from here? Cause like Plan A failed, and you know it's really, it's really, you know, falling apart. Then we land into a bigger situations, and I always tell people, I say, use what's within your hands all the time, right? And sometimes we kind of overlook or we kind of try to go like eighty miles down the road, but it's like always pieces from different, you know, life your life story or stuff that's right around, and so. On that piece of property, there there are a lot of restrictions because there's certain restrictions that, you know, you will have to get the neighboring partners, the businesses to sign to say, yes, we would like to see this type of business. And then there's a lot of businesses that you don't have to. You could just go right ahead and do. 
And so the one thing when I kept looking at it, I kept getting frustrated. And they even came to a time where I was like, we're just going to sell it for what we paid for and just get mm-hmm. out of it. But I knew it's like you just kind of got to persevere and just keep going and say, like, it's a reason why we did this. Like, it's something bigger. And it taught, one, I learned a lot of lessons real fast. It's mm-hmm. like get you a team. Yes. <laughs> yes. And get you a team and get somebody else to look over and then get somebody else to look over. And then, again, back to my point of I'm slow to sign contracts. and read, Like I said, t- I read it like 20 yeah. times. Um, each session, and um, I just go back to the fact that I'm just really grateful to God that on the first consultant contract, when I did it sign, and it said regardless of kind of what happened, yeah. who it sold to, or whenever it sold, they always got 30% yeah, exactly. stake in the game, and I think that could have been a nightmare, because hey, uh, <laughs> we could have sold it, like I said, 50 years from now, and it's like they put up nothing. Did nothing. Didn't even do no work, really. But the good thing about <laughs> it is, no matter what, they were illegal anyway. And they're yeah. still illegal. And they're <laughs> under investigation. And they should be in jail right now anyway. So at the end of the day, it wouldn't have even done anything. So I'm glad. But so you said you were hard on yourself, but you shouldn't be. Because you ended up calling me. You called developers. So even though you was around him, you still was doing your due diligence. Yeah. So you can't knock yourself for that. And once you said I said, oh, man, that dude cricket. I knew right away. I know you still wanted the pieces to be... Because in my mind, I ain't got to hear but two, three words. I've been doing it for 27, 28 years. You know what I'm saying? I ain't but 30, though. But you know what I'm saying? <laughs> I've been doing this I was three years old. So I've been doing this up for like, like, yeah, 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 30 plus. So I've been doing this for that long. So it's like, boom. And then coming from Atlanta, you know, we see it all the time. Because Atlanta has been the number one real estate market, fastest most real estate volumes for 50 some years and that's us doing it you know that's what i would try to change the rules because we making that money and so it don't take but a second for me to hear certain things like 30 days ain't no way to worry close no commercial thing in 30 days they don't want to put no money up i'm like shoot we were buying our church for three million dollars we put up a hundred thousand dollars i'm like no dude you need to put up put up some money so it right then it was like man this dude but it, it was good. I appreciate y'all trusting me to pull me in because, but what with the restriction on it? Now, one thing we're not gonna air before this is that that two million dollar equity. So this is gonna have to air like after we close. <laughs> I don't need to know. But but um, but the thing about it was the the city we we had a great contract of the people wanting to buy the land, but it was a storage facility, and they don't really want any more storage facilities over there and that, that kind of slowed down but I know she got the juice so she want to push it through she can get somebody to kind of push it through but because she want to make sure she does right by the yeah. city she's going ahead and, and, and trying to work out another situation even though we have uh, I would say a high end uh, storage facility that want to buy it and, and definitely want to put their business in I know them from Atlanta I don't know them personally but they always have like the high end, they in Dunwoody, they in like Marietta, they in the high end neighborhood. So it's always, um, so for them to come right there still would be kind of elevating, even though it's storage, you know. So, but mm-hmm. I like her because even though my one of my commission, but <laughs> but I like her because she like she trying to do right by the city and let and help them develop because it's really to me, um, they they're trying to get better at planning the growth and planning what they do do in the city so um she's really doing right by them and she's trying to get something there that's good that's right down the street from the casino she was dealing with hotels dealing with extended stay dealing with 
other individuals. But the only thing about it is where she's trying to lift the city up by herself like Magneto right now. Because at the end of the day, nothing is over there. I'm just keeping it 100. I know she. this don't reflect her feelings. This is me. There's nothing over there but the flipping casino. So it's hard for a hotel to say, I'm going to come over here. That means I got to curate all my own business. You understand? So right now she's in there trying to pull different businesses together, trying to piece the city together. So if indeed we get a business over there that'll help uplift the city, they probably should pay her for doing it. Because at the end of the day, I don't see a lot of the city officials doing making certain stuff happen. I know this don't reflect what she's saying. This is just me. Because I'm seeing what I see. She love y'all. I love y'all too. But I don't really know y'all like that. So what <laughs> you I'm saying. You got to be from Portsmouth. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You got to be from Portsmouth. See, that's where she's from. You know what I'm saying? Can, can anything good come out of Nazareth? That Jesus came. You know what I'm saying? Can anything good come out of Portsmouth? Aaron came. But ain't that much. You know what I'm saying? So she she get, she get back. You can say she's she, she trying to be diplomatic. I see her politician. I'm getting oh on her nerves gosh. right now. <laughs> but at the end of the day, she's the one trying to uplift them in my mind. And see me as her agent. I'm like, man, forget the city that government. They want to buy this other story. That's, they don't want no more, but it seems like that's all that's over there. Let's go ahead and make that money. She was I like, think, no, I'm I think do it. And the but reason she, why yeah. we wouldn't do it is because, and trust me, I thought about it. It was one day <laughs> I had printed a contract and I was supposed to sign in it. And my business partner, you know, he was like, nah, Aaron, that's not what you told me in the beginning. That's, that's not what we, right. we came down to Dallas. We talked about the city. And we know that's not. And I'm looking at him like, how you gonna use my stuff on me? Right, right. But I'm with you though. Like, see. <laughs> and I'm I like, I'm like, we just trying to get a win out of this, and we go on to something else. But he like, no. It, let's take our time with it, and let's do it. Yeah. And so when that happened, I, I was a little frustrated, you know, because I saw the price tag, and I right. said we could be done with it. It could be out of our hair, but. Um, then you know some things happen, and some meetings happen, and then. We realized, I think the track we're on right now is is really, I think that's the one that God really wanted us the whole time. Um, as many people know, the city of Portsmouth, it lacks kind of a lot of resources um, in terms of investment from businesses and just companies, period. It's kind of next to none, um, and it's been that way for years. And it's a lot of factors as to why this happened. And one, um, not to point fingers at, you know, people at City Hall, but... It's over the years, Portsmouth has always had like a bad PR, right? Like mm-hmm. just negative press stories. And it's like, I grew up like literally in Portsmouth politics. Uh, been involved since I was 16. So, like, a lot of the faces and characters, I sometimes like to say, like, I know this movie like 20 times back, <laughs> forward and backward. I know who's yeah. going to come up and say what, who's going to do what. Yes. And it's like, we do so much stuff in the city to try to fight each other. Right. And then so you have to take somebody that's from the city, I feel like, that knows all of this and still can find a way to I like I my new phrase now is it's a jungle, but get in the Jeep and just drive through it. Um and then, you know, personally you have to have that driving determination to say, you know, I know they're gonna throw this, I know they're gonna hit me with this, but we still gonna drive through it. And a lot of it is is that we see better for Portsmouth, right? right. So I grew up sure. there, stayed there. I mean, I went to college at Norfolk State, so we're still local. I reside in Suffolk now. But 
you know, Portsmouth is always home. I feel like it's the center of Hampton Roads when you really look at it because you can get to Virginia Beach or Newport News within 30 minutes from one end to one end. And it's like, you know, they've just been known as the laughing stock. And a lot of the people in the city, they haven't been exposed to, you know, even just simple fine dining restaurants, you know? I know. I it's was like, hungry when <laughs> I was over there showing that land. I was like, ain't nowhere to eat. Well, I won't have much, those. right? Yeah. But back in the day, Portsmouth had them all. I mean, the property that we own currently on right now was a part of um, the mall in Portsmouth. Wow. And so Portsmouth had a mall. They had movie theaters, bowling alleys, nice restaurants and stores. And so you kind of got to ask yourself, you know, what happened? And I think a lot of it has to do is there's no true vision in the city. And, you know, a lot of people, you know, they, they know I work in politics. And they're like, well, why don't you get in politics and just... You know, try to help change it. I don't feel like that's my calling right now. I feel like what the relationships I have and kind of the resources, I feel like I'm I'm supposed to be the person on the outside just trying to uplift, right. you know, the city and just do it from the outside because it can be done. You don't always need to be Mm-mm. in the chair to make things happen. I mean, if you just go back through history, not to go on like on the civil rights movement, MLK never was a politician, but look what he did. Rosa Parks was never a politician or held an actual position, but you just look at what they did. So I think we on to a good start to try to help change like some of that narrative in terms of business development. And then right now, kind of a lot of what we're meeting with business leaders around the region and state is that, you know, they, they didn't feel they had trusted partners and, you know, they know me from kind of my day job and, you know, from other stuff in there, like, if you're wanting to pull us in there and you go stand with us, then I guess we coming because we trust yeah, you. We exactly. work with you on several projects. Exactly. We want to we wanna help you solve. It's a win-win situation for both sides, so why not? And then, you know, the caveat to me is I can still go and talk to the city council members that, you know, sometimes they may not understand the bigger picture of, like, why we do this or why we need this. And, you know, and I think... Ultimately, not to point any fingers at any city councilman, I think all of them want to see Portsmouth succeed. I think that they all want to see the city grow, and I think they all want to see the city have better amenities, restaurants, even if it's hotels. And I knew one of the things they hate, everybody hates in the city, is storage units. (laughs) So we would have just been kind of like, you know, part of that bad narrative of just, you know, treating the city bad, making the buck and just driving out the city and not caring about the uplift. And I think that's what it's going to take. It's going to take people from the city to come in and uplift it and, you know, kind of take care of home. But I'll say this, you know, they can watch this video. We were the ones that did it first. Exactly. And, you know, after, I feel like after we're successful, yeah. Yeah. you know, that's and everybody going to want to try to jump on the bandwagon, so but the price going to go up. I said this yesterday <laughs> at his class when I talked to his students. I said, we're doing ground level stuff. And when y'all say y'all gonna be like, man, when you see this video, not just this one, another one we're doing, you're gonna be like, wow, well, you heard it here first. The thing about it is, I do a lot of stuff for the homeless and people look at me like, why I'm doing it. And I've, I've given away houses as far as way lower than I should have. And people say, why am I doing it? Cause when I'm operating like what you operating, I know I want better for my people. So I don't make the money I could make, but I believe God just opened up the windows of heaven and continue to bless me because I help people. So I, I'm like, just to be doing me, just to be like, man, you know you can charge this for that. I say, I know. Why are you doing this free uh, on November the 4th? Why are you doing this free? Why are you doing it free? You know you can make at least this. I say, I know, but that's not what I'm supposed to do. God told me to do it for free. 
I make my money on the back end. God going to bless me. So I know where you are. But I feel like I'm your justice sometimes on this one because I'm like, you can make this because that's my position is to protect my client, right? My position is to make sure I can make your money. But I know where you are, so I don't force it anymore. But I have to say, hey, look, this is a good deal. Boom, boom, boom. But I can tell that your vision for what God has given you, God going to bless you so mightily. It's it's just going to be crazy because me, to be in that position, I know like when God wouldn't let me do my real estate for eight years, I was so mad. He's like, you can't do your real estate. You got to just do your passion. I was hot at God, but he didn't want to give you the power to attain wealth. So I know how it is when you're like, for real, God, I can't do real estate at all. I just got, uh, I was irritated. But so I understand when you have a situation where you can walk away with money, but then you remembering, man, you know what? It's God to give me the power to attain wealth anyway. So you like, this is what God told me to do, and I'm going to do it. So I'm with you. We're going to see what we can figure out and, and, and do. But I I'm just I just appreciate your integrity. So, um, yeah, so thank you so much. So let's, let's transition to this. So this land that she has is owned by her silent partner who put his face on a flyer. So he can't be that silent no more. <laughs> <laughs> he don't want to be seen, but his face is everywhere on the fly. Huh? He said, I'm, I'm supposed to be a silent partner. But oh, you did it. Oh, you did it. It's a partnership. <laughs> I man. thought he did it. She did it. My fault, dude. No, I, I mean, it's a partnership. Um, yeah. So the Black, the Black Tie Gala last yeah. year, um, it's a partnership because, you know, I've known Dorian for since the ninth grade. And um, and I'll say this, and it's funny how we even got to this year's speakers because he has this famous clip, um, and they always say it just takes one phone call, yeah, one meeting, <laughs> one one email, it could change your whole entire life. Yes. Sit right beside one person, it yes. change your whole time. That's literally what happened. Wow. Um, I we ain't know it back then. I ain't know who he was. He ain't know who I was. I ain't know what I was gonna do. He ain't know what he was gonna do, right? So, um, actually, I, I attended I.C. Norcom High School, but most people don't know, I transferred from Woodrow Wilson High School because I hated it. And even the person that's the speaker, like, my mom, she'll tell you, I used to listen to Bishop Diggs all the time yeah. as a kid. Like, yeah. it's certain, you know, the pecking order, it's certain messages that, that yeah. they're my favorite. And one of them, um, he talks about destiny. It, like, steps to your destiny. like. You go through certain stuff, you meet certain people, and you're like, why am I at this place? Why do I attend this school? Why did I work this job? And, you know, it doesn't even seem right why you even worked there or did this. And then you get five, ten years later, you're like, that was a part because I had to meet this person. I had to go here to learn about this, and this is helping me. It all works together. So, anyway, I want to actually, I want to go to Ashley Northern High School because actually my childhood pastor, um, in church, they used to talk about Ashley Norcom High School like it was the world's greatest place. <laughs> and they used to have so much fun. The food was good. Yeah. And then I was into marching bands. And so Ashley Norcom at that time, they had a uh, they marching band, went on to win a national high step and marching uh, band competition. And I wanted to go to that school so bad because I said everybody from that school they successful. They lawyers, doctors, everybody in the city graduated from IC North High School. So it's got to be something there that they teach mm -hmm. to make people be successful. That's how I thought as like literally as a ninth grader, like 
I don't know what I'm going to be when I grow up, but I know if you could go to Norcom, you could be anything. And so then my mom, we were in zone for the school. And she told me, she said, if you can find somebody to let you use their address, you know, they can't get, I can't get in trouble now. It's past the statute of limitations. (laughs) It's done now. She said, if you can find an address in the zone, she said, I'll let you go there. So it was a family friend that went to the same church. She stayed in Cavalier Manor. I used her address. And so then I came back and told my mom, I said, Miss Marilyn said I can use her address. She says, now how are you going to get back and forth to school every day? I said, well, can you take me to school every day? So my mom worked at Maryview at the time. She said, I could drop you off, but how are you going to get home? She said, you got to find your own way home. Now, mind you, we stayed, like, on the other side of the city, 10, 15 minutes away. So, like, you can't ride the bus over there. Who's going to pick right, you up? Right, right. <laughs> you know, like, what's what's going to be the deal? She said, you find a way to get home. Literally that next Sunday, I went and asked five people at my church, uh, Yo, your son go to Norcom? Um, do you pick him up? Nah, my son ride the bus. Then I got to this lady, Miss T.T., I said, Miss T.T., do you pick your kids up? She said, every day, baby, why? I said, can you drop me off at home and I give you $10 a week? She said, yeah. And I went to her mom. I said, mom. That went like a dollar. <laughs> I said, mom. I said, Miss T.T. said if I get $10 a week, she'll drop me off at home. She said, no, she didn't. My mama didn't believe me. So she called her up that night and said, is that true? She said, yeah, I'll pick her up every day. I have to go every day to get my boys. And literally, I probably gave her like $10 the first two weeks or something like that. She said, don't worry about it. It's on my yeah. way home. Stop yeah. giving me your lunch money. Yeah. But that's how determined I was to go to IC Norcom. And, you know, I look at stuff like that, you know, the determination, yes. me wanting to get to the school. But then my first class that I ever attended at Norcom, I sit beside this guy in a white T-shirt. I can say it's dingy now because he... He rich, rich. <laughs> but then you look at t-shirts or sweatpants, and he had his head down. I mean, just scruffy looking. And he look at me, hey, how you doing? I'm like, well, dang, he, he got no personality. He just quiet, just sitting there looking, you know, just halfway asleep. And so I think it was like the second day they had a pop quiz, open notebook. I just got to the class, so clearly I don't got the notes. But the teacher was like, see if somebody can borrow, let you borrow their notes. He did. From that time, we, you know, communicated throughout high school. Um, I didn't know at the time he was a basketball player when I first met him because technically his freshman year, he was riding the bench. And that's why he was sad because every day he knew he had to go to practice and do all these workouts, but he couldn't play. And he was upset. So (laughs) we get to our junior, senior year. They win state championships. We go to college, but we still keep in contact. Then one summer he come home, his mom, they're like, we want to start a nonprofit. And I'm like, I don't know all about nonprofits, but I know a little bit. So, like, what we going to do? They started the camps and stuff. And then from there, just working with his mom and the family just to try to help get the camps and stuff off the ground. And, you know, it, was, it started off very small. So then it expanded into, well, we need, I kept pushing him saying, we need to do something else. We need to do something else. We need to do a gala. And so me and him would have conversations about, like, kind of what you're going to do off the court. And he was like, I don't know. I really don't really have a plan for it. I'm just trying to focus on getting the next contract. That's, you know, that's their player's dream. So it was one summer we he came to City Hall, and we were in talks with the city about doing a renovation of a basketball court. And um, afterwards he said, Aaron, it's been about seven years now. You always helped me. You always helped my mom. You always helped my family. What can I do for you? 
And I said, I don't know, you know, I mean, you could, you know, write a check, you know, all this other stuff. But that that moment, and I'll say that because it was a previous moment when somebody very wealthy and powerful asked me, you know, what did I want to do? And I never forget it. I, I didn't know what to ask for. And I didn't understand that time that that person had the keys to a lot of doors that pretty much whatever I want to do in the country, it could happen. And I used to beat myself up. Like, man, if I would have known what I know now, I would have asked them. You know, they could have got me in law school. I could have right. went to Harvard Law School with just one phone call. And I'm like, you know, that opportunity may be there, but it's not like it was at that moment when they just sit down one-on-one. And so I always told myself, I said, always have something that you want. And I don't care whatever, what dream it is, how big it is. It may sound stupid, like, I want $5 million. Like, you might never know. Like, Jeff Bezos may walk up to you tomorrow right, right. <laughs> and be like, what you want? Like, I need $5 million for this deal or this. Always have something you want. So I told him, I said, I want to do real estate. Now, that was the start of it. A year later, we kept, we had some conversations about what we would do. And I watched politics, you know, local politics, state politics for a living. And I kind of seen, like, kind of the rise and fall. I won't say fall, but the rise of, like, developers. And you have to have that political instinct. You cannot get around it. Somebody on the team has to have it. Um, and then it takes people with capital. And I always ask people, like, why do stuff fall? They're like, a lot of people don't have the capital to get stuff started. Even the pre-development phase, you know, it takes a lot of capital in that. You got to hire a team, you know, lawyers, everything else. So a lot of people, they can't, they just not able to do that. So um, I said, well, let's, the property came available. I said, let's do it. We were thinking that we were just going to flip the property, put money in the bank, and then go do another project. But then it just turned into now a portion where, like, we're just going to actually develop the property and get, you know, with our own stuff and our own relationships and then we're just gonna keep it now. So but I say all that to say, you know, in it never you never know who you sit beside. Um, keep in contact with people. Um and it's like me we won't like calling each other like every day on the phone. We still don't even talk I mean he fuss now. He busy playing basketball. He like, you don't never call me every day. I'm like, bro, I ain't calling you every day just to hear you huffing and puffing on the phone while running. <laughs> like, right, right. like you, you working out. Like I'm gonna leave you alone. But I think you know between the t- both of us, like we trust each other. We trust each other a lot, and um, and that's rare when you find people that genuinely like you and want to support you and just see you, you do good. And you know, I came from a genuine place. I mean, I'm just always happy. You know, his story. You know, y'all look at him on his story. His story yeah. is phenomenal. Um. With Bishop Jates coming in, he was not, I shouldn't probably say this, not our first-round pick. He was not first draft pick. Don't worry, I'm going to clean it up for you in a minute. I'm going to tell you why I'm glad. I'm gonna, so, don't worry about it. But I believe things happen for a reason. And Dude. I'm going to just say, I think, you know, with his video, I don't, you know, Kanye West when I was a kid, you know, don't judge him now, but when I was a kid, he was actually a decent person. I don't know what happened to him after his mama died. But the pre-Kanye West, mama died, like he was actually a good guy. Um, but Kanye West came out maybe about, what, two, three years ago. It was a movie called Genius. And, like, a lot of people, they refuse to watch it because they see the rhetoric on Kanye West. But if you go back and watch the movie, he literally films and documents his entire journey 
to becoming a rapper when he get denied by Jay-Z. <laughs> get kicked out of the record label offices. And you see it, like, the whole common thing is, like, his determination. And you cannot tell him that he was not going to be one of the best rappers of all time. You cannot. There's nothing. This guy was just riding around in a little Toyota pickup. And he told you, like, this is who I'm going to be. And everything he said, he yeah. did. And it's like. You really had that much confidence. And really, you know, I feel like, you yeah, know. He told Oprah he was going to be on Oprah. Yeah. He ran out car. I'm going to be on your show one day. <laughs> I mean, he just told, like, told Jay-Z, like, I'm I'm going I'm to do this for you. And then, like, Jay, like, okay, whatever. Who are you? And you going to sign me to Rockefeller. And they like, you're not good enough to sign to Rockefeller. He like, you going to sign me. And two years yeah. later, he coming back. That's and great. he signed. So, um same thing with fashion like he did the same thing i think just kanye you know after his mama died that's a different kanye <laughs> but i mean i think we're doing this like video series i mean that's what i like really yeah. do because ultimately you know just the other day we were i was looking at something at work and we was trying to figure out like what black female in the state of virginia is heavy into real estate outside of the founder of bt and it's like you can't really find it it's rare I tell you, um, I tell you a minute. <laughs> it's rare. And here, here, let me say this. Here, that's why I want to do this too, because I on the peninsula, it's only me and one other black company that's totally owned by a black person. Everybody else, they say they broke it, but they work under somebody else. And every time I say, they say who who you work, I say I'm, I'm Maxwell Richard, but who you work for? And I ain't get it at first because I'm from Atlanta. I see uh, black people always do this. And they be like, well, who you work for? I'm like, so at first I would get irritated. And I realized none of us are anywhere. This other company, he came after me. And he asked me to help him out. And I said, okay. And then he was like, you going to help me for real? I said, yeah. Like, why would you come to me if you think I'm going to say, yeah, did you want me to say no? Are you going to go bad mouth me or something? But it don't matter. But I'm your competition. You're not my competition. Mm -hmm. My job to help you as another black person or anybody, but especially somebody black, to help you come up. So it is hard. That's why... You are the person we talking about now. You know what I'm saying? Because you, this is what you doing, what you putting together. And I'm so hyped because you bringing my destiny together. But let me say, well, I'm excited that you got Jake's. <laughs> when I was supposed to pastor when I didn't want to. In fact, I just not started wanting to pastor two years ago. And I was pastor for 10 years and that's 12. I ain't really ever want to do it. That's what he called me to do. So I go anytime I do something for God, I say, man, you work it out. So... The thing was, I had told God, I ain't applying for no church. If you want me to pastor me, you better work it out. I'm a principal at New Birth Christian Academy. I'm, I'm just sneaking in so I can hear Bishop Long and Jakes and all these other people. I walk in the building. Everybody trying to run up to Jakes. I know who Jakes is, but I ain't the person that trying to run up in your face and get on your nerves. You know what I'm saying? And you don't know me. He stops walking. Ooh, what an anointing. You're going to be pastoring in six months. And I'm looking at him like, man, you false prophet. But I ain't saying it because, you know, Jake's a big dude. <laughs> I was thinking it, though. And then he got a big entourage. He told me that March 4th, 2011, I ended up passing in New Beach Grove, even though I got voted in or whatever. I ended up, my first day of passing was September the 4th, 2011, six months. And so I went to his Gideon. He invited me. This was when Gideon Conference was just 300 people. When he had all the commercial, he went around the nation and picked 300 people that he said could come be in his face. And I was one of the 300. And so I went there and I said, hey, man, sir, you remember 
Me, you, you call me out. You the one told me I'm going to pass in six months. And I'm pastoring. He said, yeah, I remember. So I swear, every time I see him, I say the same thing. I try not to, right? <laughs> but, but then by about the fourth, fifth time, he, like, he looking at me like, yes, Negro, I know. Yes, I remember. But I can't help it because I had never met this dude ever in my life. And he told me, oh, you're going to be pastoring in six months. How do you even know it's six months? Somebody had sent my resume in the New Beach Grove. I had never heard of New Beach Grove, had never heard of Newport News. I heard of Hampton and Williamsburg and Virginia Beach, but I had never heard of Newport News. I knew Alan Iverson, but I didn't know he was from Newport News. I didn't see the documentary. I just knew he could ball. I didn't know where he was from. And so, so, did, so, so for me to be face-to-face with him again at a pivotal point with this show and real estate and where we're going, to me, is just full circle. That's crazy. That was 12 years ago. And here I am about to meet him again. But go ahead, girl. Yeah, you no, just... I say he won the first he won the first draft pick because uh you know last <laughs> it was Kanye year, was the one? Nah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, hey, clean that up. I thought you say you went to Kanye, so I'm like, she about to get no, Kanye. I, I think, like I think, I think the Lord was protecting you. <laughs> nah, they got banned for the pool out there. Okay, well, please yeah. fix that, because yeah. I think they think you said Kanye. No, no, I, I first I first I first our first draft pick was kind of it was, we had some former presidents, U.S. presidents. Oh, we wow. thought we was going to be big time oh, wow, get a man. former U.S. president. And so we went through them, too. One was sick, can't do nothing. The other one, you know, kind of got sidelined. Then we went to um, another person. We had some more, like, high-end business people. And the prices were just too ridiculous. And I was like, we ain't, there's no way we're going to spend that amount of money. You got Jake's in Portsmouth, girl. See, you see, she liked Portsmouth. So what? it's because she from Portsmouth. But do you know how big that is for T.D. Jake's? T.D. Jake's got a billion dollars from flipping Wells Fargo. So, T.D. Jake's a big at, mogul. At this time, while we're sending an email to Jake's office, Jake's rolls out. He has a billion dollar deal with oh, Wells so you didn't Fargo. Even know that first. Okay. We didn't know this. This happened oh. prior to that announcement. And honestly, I looked at the deal, I read the press release, I said, mm, okay. And never paid attention to it. Now here's the where it gets crazy at. So in my day job, go back to a meeting with Senator Mark Warner. After the George Floyd shooting, right? Um, the George Floyd shooting happened. They call in, I hate to say it certain members of the staff and say, what should I do? And he's like, I really want to help. I want to be relevant. What during this time frame? I want to know. Y'all tell me, what does the black community need at this point in time? I just don't want to do something just to check the box, but give me your honest opinion. There were staff members on a call that said, Senator, we want you to go out there, march and protest and hold up a sign and you know i work for a very very richy rich guy as he like to say and he's tall yeah he's tall as i don't know what and i just could not see the visual of him marching down brambleton avenue in norfolk holding the sign saying you know something about the police or you know something in reference to george floyd and so i said to him i said why don't you use what you have, like what you do for a living and what you already have? You are on the Banking and Finance Committee of the United States Senate. You're a ranking member. It means you got some 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 power there. We know in Justin Hampton Rose alone that you can take a black male, 40 years old, making six figures, and they try to go get a business loan. They will get charged double the interest rate. 
and you could take a white male that has uh, not so good credit, probably, you know, making only 60000 and they'll get a lowest interest rate just based off of kind of relationships and stuff in the bank and how they present. We know that's still going on today. And so when you talk about access to capital and how that keeps our families and our communities, you know, such under great, you know, pressure and they us not allowing us to succeed. And then a lot of people, they're not aware. We were made aware of this. You know, COVID really took the band, I would say not the band-aid, but really it revealed a lot of stuff, a lot of uglies in um, the business world in terms of access to capital. When you saw small black businesses try to go to the bank and get a PPP loan. But, you know, in our community, you know, Mr. John, he been having that car service, you know, washing cars and fixing cars for 30 plus years, but nobody told him, you need to go get an LLC. You need to run it the right way. You need to have an actual business checking account. And he thinking, oh, because I did this, this, and this, he got a legit business. I mean, he do got a business, but it's just not, he's not bank, as they say. And so it's so many, like, businesses in african-american community that are under bank and they don't have good relationships with bank and then when you start looking at the population of the lower to i would say lower income you still got a lot of people still to this day that are cashing their checks at a corner store or at walmart those four or five hundred dollars a check they get and they literally go in there getting the cash and then they buy you know even now we're moving to more of a like electronic banking they're getting those prepaid cards and just putting the money up there or they're going to load their cash out with with money. And so all of this was made, you know, aware to senators, Congress, when they were doing the PPP loans. And the my boss, he, he saw it. So I asked him, I said, well, using your influence, I want to see you do something with access to capital because that's why I know you can make the biggest contribution at versus standing on the street holding up a sign. That's going to be one photo. You're going well, you know go in the, it's going to go in the history wow. book and you will never do nothing. He said, I have some thoughts on that. I, I really have some thoughts on that. <laughs> and I'm going to get back with you. <laughs> Why she got a bought And so <laughs> it's funny. Everybody said I did the best invitation. And so we had a Zoom two weeks later and he goes and tell, talks about how he meets with the uh, Secretary of Treasury. At this time, this is under President Trump. And that's why I say you never know who... So Be friendly you, with everybody. Because really, because I'm on the Peninsula Cares board, and y'all honoring Riddick or giving giving us some of the proceeds from the gala. Mm -hmm. But now I know why. So Senator Warner, when he came to our kickoff, he was saying how he wanted to make sure he got money to us and figured out how to get us more money because we helping black people with the health and making sure that we have um, – Health care for them. So, whoa, appreciate it. But so, that's no, you. So he, you never he really know care about the access what, what? to capital. Yes, because he's he really giving care. us access more to make sure that the nonprofit, because we, Centera uh, gave us a good, uh, you know, two, $250,000 to make sure that we got this thing going and we can hire some people. But with him, the way he came in with that pool, I know just by him saying it and, and supporting. Yeah. yeah. So, thank you. So, the long story short, though, Stop. but we get to this part, well, Secretary Treasury Mnuchin, they go on a bike ride. So Warner was friendly enough to go on a bike ride with him. And <laughs> he the first bike ride, I think it it went like kind of fuzzy, you know, like, ah, oh, let me check it out. Second bike ride, he commits to money. He commits to a billion dollars to put in what we call the Community Development Financial Financial Institution Fund, which is known as CDFIs, a billion dollars. There were only 1,100 of them in the country. You talk about a billion dollars. 
And so since that time right now, we're upwards of like close to $18 billion. Now, when you start talking about people like Donahue Peebles, who's like the largest real estate developer, they are here trying to raise funds for like, you know, minority developers. But really, CDFIs can really be a strong way for minority developers to really, really get access to capital. And so I was the night before, well, it was two nights before, I sent Bishop Jakes a long briefing document, just as I would want him. And I did it on purpose just so he'll know who in the room and know all about the event. Yeah, the way you get that joke. And <laughs> so I went on his real estate website after I sent the document, and I never had seen this his website. And I think I was looking for one of his staff members' bios just to read over something. And I go to it, and then I scroll down the page, and then he talks about how they're trying to utilize the newly CDFI fund from the Department of Treasury to finance some of wow. his real estate deals. And I'm sitting there laughing, and I'm like, "You the one did it. It's crazy." Our All office is the one that. <laughs> Dude, do you, do, you, do you see how this story coming together? So, so I mean, I'm. Crazy, it's man. it's like I get chills because it's like I know something's going to happen out of it with Bishop Jason in terms of what he's trying to do with Wells Fargo. Wells Fargo, what they're really that billion dollar deal is about is him put putting together a CDFI and trying to do real estate projects across the country, not just in Dallas. Um, so, you know, I'm really interested to even talk to him and be like, you know, do you really know how that money got started? You know, who kicked that off? And, you know, Senator Warner, he went and met with, you know, Amazon, PayPal, MasterCard. It was various uh, major companies, and they committed, uh, it was just about, it was early this year, early summer, about May or June, they committed to a billion dollars in private investment into the CDFI fund. So that's more capital into CDFIs. And so it's a little nuanced. That's what Greater Peninsula cares. They're looking to expand to be a CDFI. Um, there are no black CDFIs right now in the Commonwealth of Virginia. And that's what Warner wants. He wants a black one literally ran by black people. Um, because you, what the danger in this is you'll get people that's not from my community that understands the paperwork and understands this. They'll come in and do a CDFI. And once they really realize it, that you can really use it for real estate projects and stuff, they'll use it to their advantage and, you know, use our information in terms of the demographics of the neighborhood and the areas they're servicing. And then people that are from my communities or business leaders, they, we won't really see the benefits, but it's really a wealth you know, it really can close the gap in wealth if it's done right. In terms of you can take somebody like you and I can take your real estate business and you say, I need pre-development loan or, and you know, acquisition costs. And they can just literally write you a check for $3 million where their requirements are not as, you know, stringent as if you would go to a major bank where you got to have all this documentation and, you know, you probably got to put up you know, five pints of blood and everything else <laughs> to get a major loan from a major bank is basically it's community lending. So people that's from the community that know people like, okay, you're a pastor. We know you're a real estate agent. You know, we know you have ties in the community. We know what you're trying to do with this particular project. We want to get in on it because it's going to be something great. We can lend you the three to four or five million dollars at a lower interest rate than what, you know, such any big bank would try to come in and do it because most big banks they're going to want a lot more experience a lot more you know down payment they probably say well because you don't have the experience we want you to get 30 percent down versus 20 
So a lot of our people in our communities, they struggle with that, you know, just trying to get the initial down payment. So that's what CDFIs are for. Um, and so, you know, to me, it's like, it's, you know, I don't want to jinx it or something, but I feel like it's coming full circle because, you know, at first I was against Bishop Jace. I said, we're not having a preacher at a gala. We get somebody nice. And so to me, I think what me and Dorian is trying to do with the city of Portsmouth to try to uplift it, you know, his vision of trying to uplift and empower, you know, minority communities across the country. He's been doing some stuff on the East Coast. I mean, I think it's a perfect match. He's been having those neighborhoods in Texas. He was doing that a minute ago because, in fact, I went and checked out one of his communities and his schools. I flew there um, when I was over at at New Birth because I could tell, you know, Bishop Long would always try to do everything that he did. And I really went there. Cause I was like, man, I think this dude trying to start a charter school because Bishop Jay's got a charter school, mm-hmm. and that's exactly what it was. But in in Texas, it's legal. You can change a private school to a charter school, but in Georgia, you can't. You got to eliminate the private school first, then you can make a charter school. You can't you you can't switch it over. So anyway, I went there and I just saw. When I went to the school, I began to see all these communities. He the community he was building, he's been doing that like since early early 2000 so it's definitely a, a great a great person that you that you put now i do want to do this i don't know if you could do this or not but when you started talking about black people in banks i just it just clicked to me so there's one young lady wanted to go in with me on the deal and she went to go get seventy five thousand dollars now over the phone because her credit score is like 835 is what well, 850 is perfect right they told her it was one interest rate but then when she got there they say, no, nah, they got to give it to her for a high interest rate. And I believe because they saw she was black. So now you just got my mind. I'm going to destroy this bank if that's what's going on. So I'm going to sit up there and figure out what it is. One of these little credit union places. Um, and she's, she's in the military already and giving service too. But it's just weird when you said that mm-hmm. about how you people get charged double. Over the phone, online. Oh, yeah, you got this. Then she get there. And then they, they change the whole thing up. So I'm like, okay. But I didn't really even think that all the way through until we just said that right now. And I'm like, oh, no, that's what happened. Yeah. Yeah, they're still <laughs> trying to redline stuff. Mm. Well, I mean, if you if you want to look at ways to suppress a community, I mean, just keep keep the wealth opportunities low. Right. Because when you got a family, I mean, just, you know, I grew up in a single family house. Like, my parents got divorced when I was 10. But, like, when you look at it, like my parents, they were they were you know middle class people. They were successful, but when I look at other families, a lot of times what happened, especially like places like the hood, is you know the wife or the baby mama she mad at the husband because he out here trying to work and do everything he can, and sometimes you know people in that situation they get caught up in situations in our neighborhoods just because you know they don't see they try to do it the right way, and if they don't have that guidance or like that hope or opportunity you know that one opportunity then they like man i could just go get it from the streets yeah it's guaranteed and you know and sometimes you get people caught up in those situations that they really don't really want to do it but that's they're trying to make ends meet and then it what it happens is it comes back on the family they get locked up because eventually they're gonna get caught in something right they get locked up or worse they get killed in something and then it destroys families. So you're talking about generations of yeah. trauma and, you know, my daddy died from this and my daddy got locked up for moving weight. And you was to think, like, when I grew up, 
Like, my grandfather, who I feel like, you know, I didn't have the longest period of time. My sister, I always get kind of mad at her because she got many, many years and summers to spend with him. But I always credit him to being why I'm involved in politics. He was a mayor in a small, small town in Georgia. And in the summertime, when I would go down there, everybody wanted to go to my grandma's beauty shop. My grandfather had bought my grandmother a hair salon, and she was in charge of the salon. She did hair, but she also had people in there pay her booth rent <laughs> every week. But um, I wanted to go hang out with my granddad. And so I knew if I hung out with my granddaddy, me thinking I can just get orange juice and Oreo cookies, because my grandma, you're not going to eat a bunch of junk around her. You got to <laughs> eat real food. I ain't going to let you just eat what you want to eat. I knew my granddad would. But we would go to the town hall, which was a.k.a. City Hall, what we most know as City Hall. And then the second thing is he would go to little business. Like my grandfather, he had rental properties. He owned the cleaners. What city were you in? DeSoto, Georgia. It's a small city, oh, wow. small, small city, population probably five, six hundred oh, uh, 600 people to this day. Wow. And so he went around, but he had his so hands in so much in terms of business and entrepreneurship where he had one business, you know, a cafe, restaurant slash you know, uh, what they call it. I can't think of the old school name. They used to call the little clubs at nighttime. He had that going. And then he had a cleaners, you know. Then he had, you know, dealt with older, restoring older cars. He just was doing a lot of stuff. You know, so it's like you saw people like that. And then I saw how my grandfather owned like three and four houses just outright. And then you look at today's time, and it's like, you know, growing up, our people, we don't see people owning three, four, five houses that they could just say, yeah, I got a house over here, a house over there. I got two pieces of land over there. But when I grew up, I grew up literally around, you know, somebody owning that so I know what's possible. And so you have to ask yourself, when you look at the economy, you look at how banking was back then, and I knew how my grandfather could walk into the bank. I seen him walk into the bank, don't been with him. I need this loan for this house, and he come back and pay you know, and then you look to now, you have to ask yourself, when you really start digging in on, like, how credit scores and zip codes, how that correlate, you know, if you stay in certain zip codes and stuff, like, you know, how it's it's really, really weird, like, when you get into, like, Asperian, TransUnion, all of them, how to even, they kind of even know if people are black. Right, like, yeah. it's bias in that. Right, it is. And so, they you know, they, the, the zip they do this stuff to kind of, like, systemically, like, keep people away from wealth because if you have a wealthy population my gosh your kids get educated better you empower more y'all rise up and run for office if that's what y'all choose to do and they just don't want our communities to have what you want i'm not trying to play the black versus white game but it's just what it is it's like through the years from you know the 70s to now it definitely has declined in terms of black economics Uh, that's why it's not the same that's why i do this show and it's funny how even when i do certain things like when i talked about CRT, how critical race theory is not black history, it's a theory and mm-hmm. and Republicans weaponize, you know, they put the violence, they put a violent thing on my thing, like I was talking about violence. And then they made hey, you gotta be eighteen or older. So I had to I had to um dispute it and they took it down. But the fact that you put up there, I didn't talk about violence. I didn't say anything violent. I just told you what the truth of CRT is. And when you see certain buzzwords, they be trying to censor it because they don't want the truth to get out there. Yeah. You know, so YouTube, Facebook, all that stuff, to me, all them people in cahoots. Yeah. And then, you know, instead of you them trying to push certain things out, like I can say something. I could be a weight room video. I can say something real crazy. It would be funny. That junk could go everywhere. 
You know what I'm saying? I'm like 10,000, 15,000 views, but then you're talking about something that makes sense. You're trying to oppress it and you're trying to keep it censored because you don't want it to get out. And they were talking about so-and-so complaining about this because I started talking about how the different language of, you know, when they went to rescue the black man, they was getting beat down by 10 white people. I said, this was not a brawl and you need to stop saying it's a brawl. If it was a white person, they would have said that it, he was rescued from a mob of people. But they didn't say that for us because they always want to downgrade it or make it seem as though it's not as seriously attack on us or try to make it, you know, like it's our fault. And so I said that, and then they sent me a message. So-and-so complaining about that. I don't care if they complain about the truth. Who cares? Who is this person? Yeah. Who cares? You understand? So it's like with you coming out with economic empowerment, you saying I'm going to be on the outside of it and I'm going to do it from the outside, it, it's good. We need some people on the inside, we need some people on the outside because then you economically free. Because I can feel the pressure sometimes. I say what I say, but I can feel the oppression on me when I was running for office. I'm like, man, I'm saying it, but I'm filtering this. I'm still saying it, but I can feel why I was supposed to say it a certain way. I ain't like that at all. So <laughs> I don't know if a loss is a victory in so many ways, but I just couldn't do it. But anyway. <laughs> we got a lot of the moving pieces. Right Do now. you know the preachers are talking about this? They're like, how in the world did she get TDJs to go to Portsmouth? <laughs> I'm telling you, see, you understand, maybe not in the regular no, world, let me, let me talk but about in the spiritual Bishop world, yeah. they said you got Jakes yeah. to Portsmouth. Do you understand? Do you understand? When I got Jakes, the only reason I was able to speak at the Hampton Ministers Conference on their 100-year anniversary is because I got them TD Jakes. I was working with them, and then I got them TD Jakes. Because um, it's funny how you said you couldn't get the president. At least you called him. Dr. Harvey said, man, I can't talk to Obama. I can call Obama right now. And I can't get in touch with Jakes. But I heard you can get Jakes. And I, Jakes, people was helping me. Because like you said, send beside one person. You don't even know who you send beside. I helped somebody. This, this young lady, they was treating her bad. And then at the end, she was there on the sister of the dude that's the right-hand man for Jake's. So they ended up personally, like, helping me. My first years at New Beach Grove, the reason why I was able to take New Beach Grove, T.D. Jake's was pretty much through his team mentoring me for, like, my first flip in two years. So he was sending people down there to me to help me wow. do me to do. My first two years there, they were helping me. Like, wow. you see what I'm saying? So that's why I'm kind of connected, but not really connected, but I'm connected enough. <laughs> so I, I was able to get them Jake. That's the only reason. He said he couldn't even get in touch with Jake. So then Jake comes, and then he calls me back, um, Dr. Harvey, and he says, man, I got him, but he calls, he asking for so-and-so. I said, well, what <laughs> did you tell him? He asked for like 50000 or something like that. I said, I said, what did you tell him? He said, I told him to tell him whatever he want. I'll get it to him. I said, why you tell that to Jake? You can say that to me. And I have a 1500 2000 You can't say that to Jake. I said, well, what do you need to do? You need to tell him he can sell his book, his, his, one of his books there, and then just say you'll pay him like $10,000. I bet you he'll take that. And he took it. He said, man, so he got me to preach at the Hampton Middle Conference just because of that. I didn't even know that was a year. His book came out. He had a new book. I don't know what it's called. Hang on, that's one of my least favorite books he wrote. So I feel like I helped him sell that one, man. I forget which one it was, but it came out that day and then he he ended up selling it, selling it, um, selling it there. He I know that probably went to best because that was the year they had the most people. There was like nine thousand people. There. I know at least seven thousand people mm -hmm. bought that book. 
you know, just in that moment right there. So Jason was happy. He was happy. So it's like just that one moment sitting right there. That's the only reason I was able to. That's the only time I've ever preached at the Hampton Minutes Conference just because I connected them to Jake's because I was sitting beside one person, like y'all say. So it's like, but to get Jake's, so I'm telling you, you got in touch with Jake's, Dr. Harvey, the creator of the Proton Therapy Center, the president of Hampton University, could not even get an answer from T.D. Jake's. You understand? I still didn't get an answer, but I, I knew who could get in touch with him. You know what I'm saying? So this is flipping crazy huge. So not only do you have the spiritual side, you got the natural side because he's a businessman. You got a businessman and the spiritual person. So you're going to have church folk that don't never spend money on no ticket companies. <laughs> you understand what I'm saying? This is crazy. You got a person who embodies the business and the spiritual that jumps crazy. That's crazy. You just got to understand, man, that you are the talk of the town. How'd she get him? How'd she get Jace? How, 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 how? We were talking about at the, at the Cares thing. They got Jace real. Like, we really, they, they couldn't even believe that their name was on the flipping flyer. Like, they was like, for real? So people came there, and they know I know you and Titus, and they saw Titus post and said, so did this happen? Wait, why you didn't tell us? I said, man, I ain't even know, really. I just found out what she, she said. Yeah, y'all going to be on there. I didn't even know. I mean, you know. Anyway, it's, <laughs> this is crazy big. So I'm so happy to be a part of this. I know, talking, you know, you got your lawyer back there. We ain't saying that one's supposed to say. She goes, <laughs> that's how big you are. Trying to got a lawyer in the background. He ain't never say be quiet. So it must be doing all right. Oh, my God. <laughs> but anyway, go ahead. Um, Just lead in with your last thoughts or whatever. Tell people. You know, help somebody that might be struggling with walking in their vision. What they need to do? One, um, I would say, you know, a lot of people, they don't understand what's their why, what's their purpose. And really, I mean, if you're spiritual, you got you kind of got to get that alone time and just really, you know, come to yourself. You know, I'll, I'll say this. When I was in high school, I thought I was going in IT world. I just knew I was going to be kind of like my mom. I was like... I'm going to just go do computers. I know they make decent money and go home. And then so I had a thought literally while we was at marching band practice. And anything, anybody know anything about marching bands? Band directors love to make their kids stand in parade rest or I attention know, right? for like 30 minutes. <laughs> so you got to find something to think about. You do a lot of talking to yourself. And I said, I it was my senior year. I said, what is the one thing that, you know, I was going to college that you can just sit in class after class and just keep learning more about. And I said, history and politics. And that's how I came up with the political science. And so, um, but even after my freshman year, it was rough, you know, mentally at Norfolk State. I never really like talked about it, but it was rough because I felt like, you know, I was at a university and I, I have love for Norfolk State and I love our HBCUs, but one thing I tell people is when I left I.C. Norcom High School, it was a difference because when you walked to I.C. Norcom High School on the first day, they told us you could be anything you wanted to be in the world. Dare to do it. And they used to tell, they used to tell us at I.C. Norcom, and you ask people that graduate in that class, you're not competing with the person next to you or in front of you or behind you. And they say you're competing with the world. And they used to drill that into our heads. And then when I walked to Norfolk State, it was like, oh, just be fine with being the worker. One day you'll rise up to be the manager 15 years what? from now. Dude. But Norcom just told me I could be the president. Oh, my God. States. I'm sorry. I got to cut in. I got to cut in. <laughs> Albany State. 
All I'm going to say, first of all, God told me it was going to be a flood the next year. Like, he pretty much let me know that, so I was like, I'm going to leave. But I called my mom. That was in the beginning of the year. We had a motivational speaker there, 1992. 19, yeah, 1992, the first, my first semester there. And the speaker said, there will never be a black president. And it was a black person. And I said, Mom, I can't go here no more. This I know I just got here, but I'm letting you know, after this year, I'm a transfer. My counselor was mad. I got accepted into the University of Miami. I got accepted into all these big, big schools. But I went there because my dad go SGA advisor went to Albany State. She taught me to go in there. The counselor literally cussing me out. You go out and sit all these applications for you and you go to Albany State. What is wrong with you? Mm -hmm. So I was like, I can't go here. I was like, if they telling me that there'll never be a black president, I might well just go to a white school and get used to dealing with racism in the beginning so I can be ready for the world. Because they telling me I can't be the president. You know what I'm saying? And so I left. So I go ahead. I feel you because I'm like, man, yeah. I, I thought it was so just me. Mentally, mentally, every know. day. And Sorry, I'm say gosh, every day, like I was walking to an environment and it was really a culture shift for me. I mean, I didn't understand it at yeah. the time, but it was a culture shift because, again, I see Norcom, you can do and be anything you want to be. Well, they brought them five and buses, girl. <laughs> they're ready they're rolling deep. I mean, you honestly, and you saw, like, I see Norcom, you, it was nothing for. You know, even one of the honorees for the gala, like Lieutenant General Alonzo Short. That was the first black millionaire I've ever met. You know, he used to advise the president every morning in the Situation Room. He was the commanding general, you know, for two wars, sitting there advising President Clinton on how they going to do information technology and Iran and all these other places. And he's like, yeah, I went to see Norcom High School. Then you see people, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm the chief judge of the court system. You might see somebody else, yeah, I'm a lawyer. And, you know, so, like, this is the stuff we saw at Norcom. Like, this is a norm. Like, people leave here and they go do great things. You had one of the pilots for a former president. He used to fly Air Force One, literally come to the school and talk about how, you know, he got pictures with the president, how he used to fly the president around the country every single day, a black person. So we, I saw what was possible. And then when I got to Norfolk State, it was like, if you just go get a job at GEICO and you a manager trainee and you stay there for five years, you are doing very good for yourself. Yeah. And I'm like, no, nah, they told us we could be millionaires. We can have a house on the water. We could drive the S550s. We could do all this stuff. What are you talking about? And I literally had professors that that's what they were training their, their kids for. And they, I mean, it's like, and so it was, you know, mentally I battled because I said, I know there's more for me and what I'm getting out of university. So I actually was going to transfer, you know, after my, um, my sophomore year. And I went to Hampton University because I felt like they had that kind of like doctoring that, you know, these kids can be anything. We'll be your boss. Like one of my good friends, he graduated from Hampton University. He said, yeah. Y'all do good, but they told us at Hampton University, within five years, you need to be the boss of the place. Yeah. And I'm like, that's my I talk, type of thinking. They leadership. I taught at the Leadership Academy a <laughs> so couple of years ago. They teach their students to be leaders. Yeah, and so I went to Hampton, and then they told me, they said, okay, my parents, that's it. They weren't rich, but they made some money. But they said, yeah, you don't qualify for no Pell Grants or nothing like that. So if you want to roll here, this your balance. And it was $12,000. And my mama said, well, where you going to get $12,000 from? I said, I don't know. And I looked at a course, their curriculum. I'm like, they teaching the same thing North of State in terms of the classes. It's not really different. So I sucked it up, and I really kept trying to find ways of what I did a lot of 
was I said politics is gonna be my thing, right? Then I always tell people whatever field you're gonna be in, what is cooking, pastors, lawyers, whatever, you should always find at least three to five people to study. Study their life, study their patterns. Like what do they do to get to where they are? Look at the greatest of that industry. And you will start to see some similarities of, you know, some people if they're politician, they all went to law school or, you know, some of them they go on to make their own money or they're a business person. And it's like I would just research, spent hours in the library, literally. And I would sit at a conference room table. It's funny to me now because it's like, why are you sitting at a conference room table by yourself? Like you're in a business meeting. Like you're in a business meeting of your life with you and God. And you just sitting there mapping stuff out like, you know, by my junior year, I need this internship. And literally just trying to find pathways. But in terms of like trying to figure out, that's your question. You know, the vision for your life is like, one, you just really got to find some alone time and really, really think about What's those things that you kind of have within your hands that you can do very easily that you feel like a special calling to? Like some people, they just want to help feed people, right? But like how do you do that in a way that I always tell people because, and not the kind of, I know the pastor's in the room, but, you know, one of the, the, the things I got against the black church is, is that we do a great job of teaching our people how to serve and always be dependable in the church. But sometimes what we don't do a great job of it's trying to teach people in the church how to be in the marketplace and make what they do in the church sometimes a skill. So if you're a good cook and you always at the church when they cater and stuff and you the sister that's been there for 12, 15 hours cooking the rolls and setting the tables up and baking the chicken, but then it's like they do it for free for so many years, but they could go to a country club or somewhere else and take that same skill set and make money for it and and i'm and i'm with it because you know a lot of times those people that are the backbones of our churches they go home struggling they don't have the resources they're trying to figure out how to make ends meet and it's like sometimes you know one of my favorite bishop jake's quotes he says god gave us a tree and out of that tree came chairs tables you know all these resources just from the the tree and it's like he has already given you something but you got it's up to you to try to sit down and really take that time to focus and try to connect and try to figure out how can you make it more. If you got this one, what you think is a small skill set, if it's just talking good, you know, a lot of people get paid to talk good now, TikTok and everywhere else. It's like you may do that in church, but like how do you monetize yeah. that and try to make that to something that can support your family? Because ultimately, like, you know, not to be too churchy, but, you know, he said, I wish that you'd be in good health and that your soul prospered. Like, God wants you to be wealthy. He don't, he don't want you to be broken. And when you really look at people of the Bible, I mean, gosh, look what they was having. All them cattle and all this gold and all these jackets, yeah. you know, they won't broke people. So it's like, you yeah. got to ask yourself, like, why in our, in, our dem- in our churches today or, like, with people, like, why do we think that, you know, I mean, sometimes you can have rough patches, but why do we have to live a life? you know, that's not worthy of, like, you know, we got to go home and stress every night. And there's going to be some struggles in life, but I think we all should aspire to get to a place that, yeah. no, everybody's not going to have a million-dollar house, but, you know, you, you at least want to be able to be able to send your kids to school, go to a nice dinner, you know, from time to time, and not have to worry about the bill yeah, and penny exactly. crunch, that's right? That's crazy, though, man. Because I think newbies grow considered a black church, right? Okay. <laughs> we Are we? Okay, well, we definitely teach it how to. So if, if you have a problem with that, you're not being taught that, you definitely need to go to New Beast Grove because I think we're a predominantly black church. And I know what you're saying, but I know, you know, sometimes we go to different churches that may not get that, but we definitely, that's why we do the real estate classes, November the 4th, for free. 
You ain't gonna get it free every time, but you'll get a discount rate. You know, just to be trying to make me pay, make y'all pay every time. But I'm gonna go ahead and let you have it for free this time. But you know, throughout sermon, I always want to make sure we empower people because my thing is, as a pastor, you're supposed to be holistic. Mm. To me, you're supposed to be teaching people how to take care of their spirit, their mind, and their body, right? And so that means you got to teach them spiritually what they need to be with the Bible. You need to teach them. Uh, it, it mentally with their mind, how they gonna make money? How you gonna take care of your family? How you gonna make? Uh, how you gonna build wealth? You know, and then your body, you definitely because you triune just like God. God is God, the, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. You are yourself. It's for your spirit, your mind. I know people say soul, but your mind, soul, and mind the same thing. And your body, you got to take care of all of those. So that's why we want to make sure. That's why you right here on this show right now. Because sometimes I might not even air. A sermon. We might air something like this because I want to make sure they understand that God, like you said, God wish up of all things that you be prosperous and in good health, even as your soul prosper. And a lot of times, pastor might tell you your soul prospering is you reading the Bible. Yeah, you need to read the Bible. Yeah, you need to read that, and that's helping your soul prosper. But also, need to, you want to be politic, you need to study the history. You need to study the politics. You want to be a real estate person, you need to study finance. You need to study the trends. You need to figure out what's going on economically in your community and what neighborhoods you can render the most money from. So, as your soul prospering, you have to go study. You have to do something. You have to get that alone time, like she's saying it, and help build yourself up. But anyway, I'm hungry. So we're gonna stop talking to y'all right now. In <laughs> this, but look, seriously, though, I guess we can we can talk. Your your lawyer over here now. So what we we talk about what what is looking like on the twenty third? That's when you bring in Justin and and, and Eugene. End up what the twenty third? All right. Thank you for coming to bring the bring the smoke slash the other name of the show. Don't want to say it out loud since we got two lawyers in here. I'm gonna be quiet. <laughs> but yeah, hey, one more uh, edition of Bring the Smoke is done. But also, I believe it's gonna transition into our new show as well. And I just thank having Miss Aaron Carter here. Now we got to figure out what the 23rd looks like because we about to blow this up. <laughs> Hey everybody, how you doing? This book is a book I believe everyone should buy. Not just because I wrote it, but because this book was birthed out of pain. And you learn so much during those painful moments. This is called Leadership Growth, The Power and the Pain. You can't have the power unless you've been through the pain. Bishop Morton wrote the foreword. It's been endorsed as well by our former governor, uh, Terry McAuliffe, and by our Newport News Sheriff, Sheriff Gabriel Morgan, I promise you this book will bless you. Please get it, not just for me, but to bless you. Go to willamaxwell.org or click on the links below and I promise you this book will bless you. If you don't just buy it for yourself, buy it for someone else. It's a short read, but it's a powerful read. I've been getting testimonies all across the country and I promise you it will bless your life.